welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical health and mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer-turned-nutritionist with a deep passion for learning about how to live a vibrant life through practicing mindfulness and meditation, eating a nourishing healthy diet, and moving my body, and sharing what I learn with you here on this podcast. Please note that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat injuries or medical conditions, and it is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I am here with Tanya Bottomley. I came across Tanya when I went to see the Run Nation Film Festival. A collection of short, inspiring films about running, Tanya's film Peak of Possibility was extraordinary, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'll leave it to Tanya to tell you more about her amazing running feat featured in the film, but one of the many reasons I wanted to reach out to Tanya and invite her on the podcast is because she shares her story about domestic violence. She raises awareness around domestic violence and recovery for victims reclaiming their lives, as she has done, and today we'll find out how Tanya did that. To put our upcoming conversation into context, according to Mission Australia, domestic violence refers to violent behaviour between current or former intimate partners, typically where one partner tries to exert power and control over the other, usually through fear. It can include physical, sexual, emotional, social, verbal, spiritual and economic abuse. Some examples of the types of abuse could be verbal, which is designed to humiliate and demean someone, economic, for example, depriving someone of basic necessities and access to funds, or social, like controlling all of someone's social activity. Women experience domestic violence at far greater rates than men do, and women and children often live in fear of the abuse used by men to control their partners. It is recognised as a major public health problem. Here are some Australian statistics which might surprise and shock you. They certainly did me. The Australian Bureau of Statistics in 2016 conducted a personal safety survey and it estimated that 2.2 million adults have been victims of physical and or sexual violence from a partner since the age of 15. In 2015-16, one woman was killed every nine days and one man every 29 days by a partner. And very sadly indeed, Indigenous people are 32 times more likely to be hospitalised for family violence than non-Indigenous people. The figures in New Zealand are similarly grim. In 2016, there was one incident of family violence about every five minutes. One in three women experience physical and or sexual violence from a partner in their lifetime. And in the four years from 2009 to 2012, 76% of intimate partner violence-related deaths were perpetrated by men and 24 by women. According to the World Health Organization report on violence against women, so this is looking from a global perspective, one in three women will experience physical and or sexual violence by an intimate partner at some time in her lifetime. And violence against women is widespread, 
ranging from 15% in some countries to 71% in others. What this variation shows, though, is that violence against women is preventable. So the statistics, as shocking and horrifying as they are, are always given more context when we speak with a person about their own experience. So it is my great pleasure to welcome Tanya Bottomley to Vibrant Lives podcast today. So hi, Tanya. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And Tanya, I'd like to start with some quick fire questions Mm -hmm. so that we can get to know a little bit about you. Tanya, where did you grow up? So um, all over New Zealand, actually. I was born in Queenstown um, and we moved a lot. So we lived in different um, places around the North and South Island. Um, But we moved back to Wanaka last year, um, Otago, just across the hill from Queenstown. So I kind of feel like I've done a great big loop and finally come home. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) And I have to say, I've not been there yet, but it does look like the most beautiful part of the world. It really is. Like mm. I, it's just, yeah, it is my absolute favourite place. Um, oh, it's just, it's it's home. I like yeah. the sound of music is my favourite film, and I feel like that's the 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 mountains are in me. <laughs> it's oh, just how like, beautiful! You know, like this is my home. It's all just, yeah, it's yeah. just pretty cool. I've done a big circle too, and have lived all over the place, and ended up back in Adelaide where I was born, and I also love it, um, which yeah. is great. So. Uh, I think I know the answer to this. What is your favourite form of exercise? (laughs) Yes, so definitely running, um, although I guess I don't really think of it as exercise, to be honest. It's... Mm. um it's it's a hobby. It's something I love. Uh, yeah, rather than exercise, which can have that connotation of hard work, I guess. Yes, it, so. yes, and something <laughs> that is sort of planned and executed for a goal in mind, whereas maybe running's more like just your happy place. Yes, yeah, definitely is. Mm, and it just so happens to also be exercise. Exercise, which is great. <laughs> and what's your go-to meal for dinner? Um, probably something pretty basic, like a chicken and veg and some sort of carb. Uh, very, yeah, very basic with my eating, but um, just nutritious and trying to get yeah. the fuel that my body needs. Great, great. And what are you reading right now? Uh, so I'm currently planning a bit of an adventure. So um, my current reading is uh, The Moors Guide, uh, which is a, a New Zealand tramping and um, mountaineering route guide, uh, just trying to get a feel for the area that I want to go explore. So that's oh, pretty that fun. sounds great. Are you, sorry, I should know this, are you currently in lockdown still? We, um, so New Zealand is split at the moment. Uh, Auckland is still in the full level four lockdown. Mm -hmm. Um, The rest of the country, including us, we're at level two. So we're all back to work um, just with the restrictions of mask wearing and small gatherings and things like that. So we're pretty much back to normal life. Um, But yeah, Auckland are are not. They are still full lockdown. And what are you enjoying listening to? Oh, um, I guess I've started um, re-listening to audiobooks. So in my job, I drive around a lot, um, mm-hmm. which is which is an awesome way to take things in. Um, so at the moment, I'm listening to um, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Um, I have read it in the past, but I've come back. I've just listened, uh, finished The Power of Now, um, and I'm listening to A New Earth again. Um, they're just such good books, um, but ones that I feel like I need to keep coming back to and listening to again and again to get grounded and just remind me of all the principles in them because they're really good to live by. I totally agree. I absolutely love those books. But like you, I think you need to revisit them because Mm. partly because the message I think is to really understand it, it's quite complex in places. You Mm. have to reread it and think about it. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think every time I read it, I get something new out of it. It's one of those books that came into my life when I needed it and it re-came into my life recently and it was probably at a time that I needed it as well. Yeah. So it, it's kind of cool like that. And then you just kind of get something out of it each time that you yeah. need for oh, that particular great. time in your life. Your favourite holiday destinations, first of all, in New Zealand, and secondly, if we can dream a bit and you can travel <laughs> overseas, where would that be? Yeah, so I guess um, in New Zealand, I'm pretty lucky to be living in my favourite place. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> um, so really the South Island, um, down this way, um, Otago, Central Otago, we've got so many amazing mountains, um, which are pretty much my favourite place to be. Um, so yeah. Uh, that would that would be my favourite place, mm -hmm. and I get to live here. Um, in terms of overseas, I haven't really travelled a lot um, outside of New Zealand, but again, I'm probably drawn to the mountains. Um, I was planning on doing or trying to get in to do the Tour de Jean in the Italian Alps. Wow. Um, that's, that's definitely on the goal if we can ever travel again. Yeah, hard to know. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely yeah. mountains. So mountains. just bigger mountains. Bigger mountains overseas would be where I'd like to go. One day, I'm sure one day we'll be able to <laughs> just who knows when. Mm. On to your background a bit now, Tanya. So on your website, Run Like Tanya, you describe yourself as an athlete, a storyteller and an advocate. So I'd like to talk about your role as an advocate. So I mentioned in the introduction that some of the work you do involves raising awareness about domestic violence, including sharing your own story. As I also mentioned in the introduction, domestic violence is a major public health problem and it's alarmingly, I think, more prevalent than people realise. So why do you think, Tanya, or what are some of the reasons that it's important to raise awareness about domestic violence? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it is really, really prevalent. In New Zealand, uh, I think New Zealand has one of the worst statistics. We're about one in three women um, in New Zealand will experience domestic violence. And um, I was looking at your stats and I think you're about one in four. So yeah. it's just, I guess it's it's everywhere. It's mm. um, it probably your friends, you'll know people that have experienced domestic violence. Um, it's a really complex topic and yeah. to a large extent, I think it's been normalised and accepted in our culture in years gone past. I guess we accept changes over time, like smoking and, and things like that. There's all these things that were okay back then, and yeah. now we know they're actually not. Um, so we've acknowledged that it's not okay, it's damaging, and it needs to be stopped. Um, I guess at best, domestic violence can leave emotional scars that a person mm -hmm. has to deal with for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. um, at worst, people are losing their lives. I mean, people are being murdered at the hands of people who are supposed to love them, um, which is just, yeah, I, and it blows my mind. It's, it's yeah, horrendous. Yeah, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it really, really is. Um, so I guess other than that, there's still a lot of shame and stigma and a whole lot of victim blaming when it comes yeah. to domestic violence. Um, I think domestic violence awareness now is where mental health kind of awareness was maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, we've come a really long way, um, but we still have a long way to go in having those conversations so that people understand what it is and, and how we can make it better. Because I think the other thing that's come more into the awareness is that domestic violence is not just physical. There are mm. lots of ways that people can be abused. It can be economic, it can be emotional. And I think people are now understanding more about that. As you say, the conversation's begun. Mm. Absolutely. I think 
our culture has a lot to answer for in normalizing what are actually really toxic behaviors um, for romanticizing um, control and possessiveness as love. So we've got a whole lot of unpacking to do around, around that to really kind of start to make a difference as well. It's so complex, isn't it? But but Mm. we have to start somewhere. So um, Tanya, only to the extent that you feel comfortable, can you share with us something about your own story, your domestic violence story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been sharing my story now for a couple of years. And um, when I first started, I had no intention. I didn't really want to, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, um, there was, you know, for me, it was shame and stigma. And I didn't want that to be mm. attached to me. But it was mm. such a big part of my story that it was really hard to talk about my life and just block out 20 years of it. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, um, so I guess um, I was reflecting on it this morning, having this conversation with you and I've lived with domestic violence now for almost 20 years. Wow. So half my life and pretty much my entire adult life. Um, I left my ex-husband seven years ago, um, but I still deal with abuse from him from time to time. Um, seven years it, it's I swear to God sometimes I just yeah. think surely surely by now um, we would be over it but I still get a lot of name calling and threats and attempts to manipulate me um, we have children together so until our children are fully grown and left time I expect that that will probably continue to a certain extent yeah. um, which is which is tough so you leave but it doesn't necessarily mean the end but it it's a whole lot better than than being together. Um, I've yeah. learned how to deal with it now, and it still it still can really hurt and get to me at times. Some of the things he says, um, but I've I've come a long way, and um, and don't have to take that on board now because it's not right. my truth. No. Um, but as I say, we met nearly twenty years ago. He was a lot older than me and more established, and he just lavished me with gifts. Um, he told me he loved me within a week of meeting me, um, which at the time didn't sit well with me. It seemed a bit mm. weird. It seemed a bit full on. Um, it was probably my first red flag, but I didn't really listen to my yeah, gut because you were young, I guess. Yeah, I was twenty. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I say, he was older and he was established, and he just and it just seemed wonderful. Oh my gosh, this person loves me. Like. This is weird. How can he love me when he doesn't even know me? But hey, (laughs) this is what every girl dreams of, right? (laughs) That whirlwind romance. Mm. Um, So it didn't take long, though, for the gifts to become manipulation. And the threat started quite early. Um, He said in his circle of friends, if if a woman used a man, then then they would deal with them. Um, He talked about disposing of bodies and knowing how to make people disappear like it's crazy to oh, talk about it now because it I seems goosebumps actually oh insane yeah. like it's just um so I didn't feel safe but mm. if I left I was scared that he would consider that I'd used him and yeah. maybe I would disappear it it's it's crazy it almost seems like someone else's life thinking about it now because how did I <laughs> How did I live through that? Yeah, um, how did you, yeah exactly. How, how did how did we get to that point? But um, I mean, he was just really possessive and jealous. Um, he didn't like me having any male friends because I would be accused of sleeping with them or cheating oh, on him, oh. and it was just he didn't like my family much either. So my world became 
very, very small because it was just too hard to deal with the inevitable fights that would come with him yeah. accusing me of this, that or the other thing. Oh, um, so, yeah, it was really, it was really tough. Um, my family would be tiptoeing around him, trying not to offend him or set upset him and, um, and set him off. I, on reflection, I think looking back, I guess my family were controlled by him as well. Yeah, um, because we were all we were all just him. trying to <laughs> to Appease not him. Mm. Yeah, pretty much, which is which is crazy when you oh, think it about must it. It's been so hard for your family to look on, and mm. you know, obviously feel a bit powerless because they, as you said, he manipulated them as well. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. I I and I've said for years I wish they'd done something, but on reflection, they were probably as stuck in it as I was, um, you know, we had two children together. Yeah. So yeah. we're just trying to protect the kids um, as well. So I guess in terms of the abuse, it was mainly verbal, um, just lots of threats and manipulation and name calling and just, just basically trying to break me down. Um, from time to time, it got physical, um, but not to the extent that that some women experience. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wish for years I could leave, but he had threatened to kill himself if I left and I was scared for my life and then my children's lives, yeah, yeah. you know, you see it happen enough in the news, jealous men who've killed their wives and children. Oh, it's awful. I think also with that constant sort of insidious wearing you down, you just lose, I guess, your sense of agency and your self-belief that you can actually leave you know yes yeah. it's yeah. very complicated isn't it it, it really is so mm. um yeah I mean we went through a lot I obviously wanted to leave um but I just felt like I couldn't yeah um but the other thing is that it was normal you know I wouldn't have said that I was being abused I would have said that he had some problems that if I exacerbated them or the family did we'd set him off <laughs> but um, you know, it was accepted for a long time, men mm. treating their women that way. As I said before, it was kind of part of the culture. It was just kind of people would turn a blind eye to it or it was just the way it was. Um, yeah. But I'm glad we've come a long way now where it's not um, acceptable. Um, no, but it's, it's not. Yeah. But I think, as you said earlier, there's still further to go. So much further to go. Yeah. 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 Before we move on to your recovery, which is going to be the um, uplifting part of this podcast, yes. <laughs> I think it's good to talk a bit about women who, it's mainly women uh, yeah. more than men, who experience domestic violence. What then are some of the barriers to them seeking help? Yeah, I, I guess for me and for a lot of women, um, isolation is a big mm. part of it. An abuser will isolate um, their victim from family, from friends, um, so they, they don't have anyone to turn to or don't feel like they can have anyone to turn to. Um, often there's financial abuse in there as well, so the victim might not have any money, you know, no, no way to actually go and build another life. So there's there's like the kind of real concrete, like how, do, how does someone even rebuild something when they've got nothing, yeah. along with the other things like... Um, you know, fear obviously is a massive part of it. I was scared for, for many years that that someone would lose their life yeah. if I left. 
Um, but then there was also not wanting to break up the family. That was a really big thing for me. Um, I just so desperately wanted us to be a happy family. <laughs> and, um, yes. you know, I didn't want to break up my family. Um, I didn't want to be the reason for our family breaking up. But I guess at the end, I didn't want my children to think that that was the way it should be or that it was normal. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it, for the I mean, the children take on a lot, I think, yes. and they notice a lot. And yeah, yeah, they it's do. Very hard though, but you know, like everyone, you you do want. I mean, we all want that sort of happy family, and mm. you know, and you do want your children to have, you know, if they can, a loving mother and father, or mm. two parents, or whatever. So, yeah, there's lots yeah. of reasons why it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. for people to to leave or seek help. We touched on this earlier. I mean, you said domestic violence is prevalent in New Zealand, about one in three women. And what I've found just doing some reading about this subject is that it often occurs in um, homes where you may not expect it. So as you Mm. said, we may know someone who's experiencing it. I read a book about a year or two ago written by an author called Mina Kandasamy, and she's a very well-educated, you know, university-educated author. And she said that um, being feminist, outspoken, successful and loud was no Mm. protection against violence. So Mm. even women that are, I guess, well-educated, they might have a great job, they could be sort of in a middle-class-looking family they mm-hmm. can still experience it. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't mm. discriminate across culture or socioeconomic no. kind of standing. It, it can happen to anyone and it does. Um, I remember talking to someone about sharing my story and she was like, oh, it only happens to women who are really low on self-esteem and self-confidence as well. And it was like, well, that's not that's not true. I mean, it, it does happen in cycles, but it, it it doesn't have to be a particular type of person. Um, it, it's just could be anyone. Mm. To that comment your friend made, the woman may become that way because mm. of the abuse she's she's yeah. suffered, but not you know start out that way. Yeah, absolutely. Referring back to your family, they were sort of a bit you know obviously terrified of of your partner mm. and didn't want to intervene. So, if you suspect or someone suspects or with, with I would say probably you know a, a degree of certainty that someone they know is experiencing domestic violence is there an appropriate way to broach the subject yeah it's really tricky and it depends yeah. what the situation is for me finally the the thing that did it was actually we had um, a particularly nasty incident after I left my ex-husband and it was a relative stranger who asked me if I was okay Mm. it was just those words are you okay and I was like shit I'm not (laughs) I'm not not okay and it was that for me was the moment of this isn't normal and after I, that was an email she asked me if I was okay and I called my sister and I was like this isn't normal what I've gone through is it and she's like no it's not and it was mm. that was that light bulb moment yeah. for me um to realize and that I guess helped my recovery because it was finally realizing that it wasn't normal 
Yeah. And that was part that wasn't my fault <laughs> because yeah. a big part of it, you feel like it's your fault. Um, so it can be as simple as asking, are you okay? And that's something that I that I do and use. Mm-hmm. I've been in situations in my work where I've come across people where I've kind of thought maybe things aren't right. And it's as simple as saying, are you okay? It's a really genuine question and you can kind of get some good feedback from that from a person and then have a conversation about support services Um, I guess if you're not sure so in New Zealand we have Shine and they have an 0800 number and that's not just for victims that's for family members and things for people friends to call and they will give advice on what you can do to help support that person um also calling police so I actually called police recently um for someone I'd heard a lot of um regular yelling and and stuff that just didn't sound right to me um and so I actually called the police and I sat with it for half a day going oh do I call the police and I was like I wish someone had called the police yeah I was gonna say um, I wish someone had called police yeah so bad <laughs> I know people, people are very reluctant to intervene mm. in someone else's life um, yeah but the question are you okay is probably a really nice starting point because the person can respond however they wish you know, and if they do want to open up the conversation, then it's there. And you've obviously shown that you care if you ask mm. that question and you're receptive to helping them and to the answer they give. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a, a bit further on in the podcast, we will mention some places where people can seek help in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. So let's go on to the more uplifting part of our podcast. <laughs> um Running has been a huge part in your recovery. What prompted you to take up running? Yeah, so I guess um, I had always been into uh, exercise in in my life. It had come and gone out of my life. Um, But I was also a heavy smoker for um, over 10 years. Um, And I had decided to quit smoking um, for about the third time, <laughs> and um, and I was was pretty low. Um, I was really depressed, and um, my sister called me one morning and she said to me, "Why don't you run a marathon?" <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and and I was like, "That is ridiculous. That is the most <laughs> stupid thing I have ever heard." Um, it was winter in Auckland, so Auckland winters aren't even that cold. But um, I was, at the time, I was like, "What am I supposed?" to do hire a treadmill I can't run outside it's raining <laughs> it's like it was all just like the most ridiculous thing um but my sister does know me quite well and um I went to the library um because the internet wasn't massive back then yeah. <laughs> and um got a bunch of books out on how to run a marathon uh in like three months you know all those books that you kind of yeah. find at the at the library <laughs> and um and I set out to run a marathon um I didn't make the full marathon, but I did make a half marathon wow. and um, and it was amazing. It was just the best feeling. Um, running gave me freedom. Um, my ex-husband didn't mind me doing it because it was a solo <laughs> was a solo <laughs> solo sport. <laughs> um, he didn't much like me racing, but the the running wasn't too bad as long as I didn't feel with family life. Um, 
so running was just a place where I had freedom and agency in my life and it was just the most amazing thing I started it and I absolutely loved it and I never went back to smoking as well so that was oh, good. great and it gives you running gives you that sense of um, I think particularly for women power and strength you know you, yes. feel, you feel good when you're out running yeah Definitely. Mm. Uh, just unstoppable. I, I've always, you know, running has been something that obviously means a lot to me. Um, and yeah, just freedom, I think, was as a big part of running and then building confidence as well. Um, you know, running half marathon, running a marathon, being able to do all these things and realize I was, you know, kind of good at something or able to do something yeah. um, in a life where I, I didn't have a lot of freedom or agency or anything like that. Um, so it was a pretty special part of my life. Yeah. So running gave you that. So tell us about your progression in running. So <laughs> you didn't start with a 5k park run. <laughs> you no. aimed high from the start. Well, yeah, but, I did. <laughs> but you've gone on and on. And so what kind of um, running events are you doing or uh, looking to do these days? Yeah, so I yeah, I mean I started at a half marathon and then went back and uh and did five K and ten K half marathon, went up to marathon. Um around that time, Dean Carnese's book, uh, Ultra Marathon Man, um, I got given that and I met uh, or went and saw Lisa Tamati, really well known New Zealand runner. Um uh, saw her speak and had read her book as well and they were ultra marathon runners and it was like this is pretty cool this is mm. what I want to do um and so I did <laughs> I've um yeah went uh, got into ultras pretty quickly and progressed um last year I did or COVID so it's actually been over the last two years now I did four 100 mile races yeah that's um, amazing so 100 miles awesome. is 160 <laughs> kilometers is that right it is yeah. yes yeah, it is. So I was aiming to be the first woman to complete a series we have in New Zealand called the Southern Season Miler Challenge. So it was 400 mile races here in the South Island. Um, and COVID got in the way on the last race, um, but I still got my trophy a year later when I finished the series um, and, and finished those 400 mile races. And they were amazing. They were quite life changing, um, that distance. Um, yeah. yeah. So. I've never done things slowly. <laughs> I don't know if I <laughs> I don't know if I recommend, to be honest, doing what I did because it was really, really hard on my body. Um, and I was supposed to do a 200 mile race uh, a couple of weeks ago. It actually got cancelled from COVID anyway, um, so it wouldn't have gone ahead. But I've uh, had to pull out with fra stress fractures in both of my tibias. Oh, that's so. A shame. Yeah, it is. So yeah. I've um, there is probably a limit to how you push yourself. I'm still figuring out where to find that limit is because my mind is probably a lot stronger than my body. Yeah, it's also. I mean, you're younger than me, but as you age, you mm. have to be careful, and you also, I think, have to put in the extra time to do strength work and that kind of yes. thing as well not yeah. just run whereas yeah, when you're younger definitely. I think you can just run and you'll be yeah. fine but yeah that's amazing the the 200 mile race is that going to be rescheduled it is um I don't think I'll do it um I don't I don't think I'd be ready so I haven't run yeah. now for nearly five weeks um and I've still got another few weeks before I can start my return to run program but I'm I think I probably made peace with not doing it um 
I really wanted to do it because a lot of the stuff has been about growth and proving to myself that I can do these things. And I got to the point in my training, I was probably the fittest and fastest, fastest I've ever been before finding out about the injury. And I know that I could have run it. Mm. And I think that's enough. I think that's enough for me. I don't need to put my body through that (laughs) because I know that I could have. You could have done it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm happy with that. I would, as I say, I'd like to do the Tour de Jean, which is a 200 mile race as well. Um, but I think I'm probably looking at doing more adventure stuff now um, right. and maybe less of the super, super long distance because it has been really hard on my body. Yes. And I still want to be doing this when I'm 70. I well, don't want to, I don't want to break it? myself now. Yeah, exactly. You, you need to have a long-term view, I think. Mm. Absolutely. And I've heard you say that you you love the trail running community. Yes. So what mm. is it about that community that draws you to it? Yeah, I mean, it's the people. Um, the friends I've made have been amazing. As I said, I didn't really have a lot of friends for a long time because I wasn't allowed um, to go out. And, and I guess that's been a big part of um, – the running for me as well as meeting these people, these like-minded people that yeah. love adventures and love nature and um, and being able to get out with them and, and form new bonds. So that's been a really, um, really precious part of the whole journey and the community. Before we expand on the joys of trail running and the positive impacts it's had on Tanya's life, I want to let you know that I've just launched a beautiful new website. The wonderful folk at Clever Fox Creative we're the brains behind the Vibrant Live podcast web design. So please check it out and join the Vibrant Lives community. You can subscribe to my monthly newsletter where I'll keep you up to date with podcast news, trends and research in the wellbeing space and informative health books. I do promise it won't be spammy because let's face it, we all hate spam. I will put a link in the show notes. And now back to the inspiring Tanya Bottomley. And just the conversations you have with people mid-race. Yes. Um, those are really cool. I've met some great friends through races. You know, you've just, you've ended up running alongside each other and 100-mile race. You know, when you're running 100 miles, yeah. you're out there for a long time. You can be having conversations with people for hours who later become your friends. Um, and you talk about stuff that you would never probably talk about otherwise <laughs> because it's just all kind of laid bare when you're out on the trail. It's It's being 100%. alongside someone there's something in the power of being alongside someone in quite a vulnerable, you're both putting yourself in quite a vulnerable kind of situation. I totally agree. I did a race in the Northern Territory a few years ago and I turned out to run with these two men. Uh, We were the same pace and we had the best time. We laughed our way through this race. They were so funny and we're still friends, you know. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's super cool. When you go yeah. through hard stuff with someone, you know, it kind of bonds you as well. You've been through, you know, a race is not just a race. It's a journey and it's sometimes, it's a, you know, it's a it's a massive challenge. Um, and so you share that with them, um, which you kind of don't come across in normal daily life, sharing that same kind of bond. Yes, exactly. You're sort of forced into that situation. Yes. Where- <laughs> So let's talk about the movie Peak of Possibility. Yes. So you set yourself quite an extraordinary physical (laughs) challenge. So tell us first about what that actual physical challenge was. Yeah, so we've got – so – I guess that it came from COVID again, cancelled a 24 hour race that I was supposed to be doing. Um, so it was kind of like, what can I do instead? Um, so still in that whole 
kind of 24 hour idea. Um, I looked at the mountains we have around here in Wanaka um, and decided I'd set my sights on Roy's Peak, um, which is uh, just a, it's a, it's an iconic mountain in Wanaka. Um, it's a 15.5 kilometer loop up and down with 1250 meters. Of it. It's just straight up and straight down. <laughs> So I'd actually never run it before I um, before I did the 24-hour challenge. Um, we hiked it once um, pre the challenge just to kind of get an idea of how long it would take me if I was hiking. Sure. Um, I didn't I didn't want to run it in case I had a bad <laughs> bad <Yeah>. day on it. <laughs> I thought I would just leave the whole experience for the 24-hour. Um, but we've got a lot of similar mountains. We're surrounded by just mountains like that here, where they're just straight up and down with similar amount of vert. So, so I'd done mountains like that and had an idea, but um, Roy's Peak was going to be special because it was going to be the first time, and I'd do it for twenty four hours. Oh, you just said that so, <laughs> so simply. Oh, I did it for twenty four hours. So, so how many times did you actually summit Roy's Peak, and was that more or less than what you expected? So I summited it eight times, um, which was a whole lot more than I expected. Um, we've got. Um, uh, I've got a friend here called Malcolm Law. We kind of joke that he's the godfather of trail running here in um, New Zealand. He started the Wild Things um, community running group. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's just massive in New Zealand. Um, so I had messaged him because he lives locally and I was like, hey, so I want to do this thing. <laughs> what do you reckon I might be able to achieve? I was like, maybe six laps. Um, and he was like, yeah, that sounds, you know, kind of reasonable. So six was kind of what I put out there. I was hoping that I would get seven summits. I didn't have to necessarily get back down, but if I got seven, um, then I would have reached over the height of Everest, which was wow. kind of a kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Um, but then I just started running, and it was amazing, and smashed out eight. Wow! Probably could have done a little bit more. The last lap. <laughs> The last lap, I was averaging three hours a lap, and in the last lap, um, we had like four hours, so we just took it really slowly because I didn't want to have to start going back up again. Oh no, fair enough. <laughs> For not not actually achieving another summit, I kind of figured it wasn't worth it. Um, but yes, yeah, so it was way more than I expected, uh, which was really really exciting. That's amazing. Um, so, what then was the total distance and elevation of adding all the eight together? Yeah, it was about 120 kilometers and 10,000 wow. meters of climbing. That is Which amazing. Was massive amount of climbing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And why did you decide or how did you decide to make a movie out of it? Yeah, I guess um, part of, so it was, you know, I was looking for something to do as an alternative to the 24-hour, but I'd also had a really massive breakthrough in my recovery, which has mm -hmm. been, it's been pretty hard. As I say, it's been seven years and last year was was kind of a massive year of growth and I'd been working with um, an amazing hypnotherapist and therapist and she'd talked to me and given me the phrase, what else is possible? Mm -hmm. And sounds really simple it's just a just a really simple question but it was just something for me to apply across my life when I was in different difficult situations um, and ask the question what else is possible so I guess peak of possibility was really a tribute to where I've come from mm -hmm. and where I was going and a celebration of what is possible because it was really I was going into it going what is what is possible I've never been here before here's a 24-hour period 
and it was a celebration of that. Um, it was also um, to raise money for Shine yeah. because they're an organisation that helped me. So they're a domestic violence uh, support service. And so the we decided to raise money for them at the same time and raise awareness, obviously. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant movie. Um, it's it's very inspiring, I have to say. I loved it. When I saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about it, really. I just I was amazed <sighs> oh. by it. Just not just the phys- the physical feat in itself is amazing, but just the way you approached it and you talked and you have this beautiful big smile <laughs> and it was just so engaging. I absolutely loved it. Oh, I'm really glad you did. I just had the best time. Like it was, you know, at the end of the film, I was like, oh, my God, my cheeks hurt so much from smiling. You said that <laughs> in the film. <laughs> How can you smile so much running for 24 hours? Um, but I just, as I say, I just had the I had the best time and and that's what it was for. Like the the day before I ran it, I went up Mount Iron, which is just a little, just a little hill here in town and looked at Roy's and, um, and was just like, I'm coming to dance. I hope you're ready. I'm ready for you. Let's do this. And it was just a really, it was so much more than a run. It was, yeah, yeah it was just a really kind of special culmination of where things were. So it was, it was just fun and exciting and just a real celebration. And the other thing I loved about the movie is you clearly had some very supportive people around you. Yes. Um, yeah. Some went on different um, legs of the run with you and they, you know, there was a little tent where they were all there to support you when you came yeah. back to the start. Yeah, it was just great. Yeah, they were awesome. I had someone for every lap except for my fourth lap, which um, I did by myself, which was super fun as well. I just had to turn my music up and I was dancing and running my way up <laughs> the mountain. Dancing people, up a mountain. People who, who were watching me going, she's crazy. I'm like, yeah, I am, but I'm having so much fun. <laughs> and so how did you train for that? Like, How did you get yourself fit enough to know that you could go for 24 hours? I guess, you know, I'd done the 100-mile races before, so I knew that I could go for, you know, through the night. Um, And I'd done – when the 100-mile race was cancelled for COVID, we actually ended up doing um, a big 36-hour – what turned out to be a 36-hour run through the mountains down here. So I've I've, done lots of long things. So I knew knew that I could do it. Um, I just didn't know – um, how many times or yeah. or what I could achieve in that time. I mean, as soon as I put it out there and made it public, I was like, what the hell have you done? <laughs> like, oh my God, now. it's quite a big mountain. <laughs> um, but we moved, as I say, we moved here a year ago. And, um, and as I said, we are lots of mountains that are similar. So I just spent a lot of time running up and down the mountains here. Yeah. Um, I'm not a super strong uphill runner. So, it, you know, it was mainly hiking up, um, but I'm quite fast on the downhill. That's I love just throwing myself down, <laughs> downhill oh, with abandon. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how, that's kind of where I make up my time. So that's what I did. I just spent a lot of time climbing mountains here um, to prepare for it. Uh, and obviously the history with the background of the ultras yes. um, helped as well. And I'm really curious, and, I, and a lot of the listeners to this podcast are runners also, how did you fuel yourself for that event? Because you'd obviously need a lot of energy to keep going for that long. Yeah, I did. Um, I consumed mainly um, just liquid fuel. It was pretty much for the entirety of it. So I had calculated 
200 calories an hour um, and I had two litres of uh, water slash fuel, so a litre of fuel and a litre of water per yeah. lap and each lap was three hours. And so it was pretty much um, entirely liquid fuel except for when I got hungry, um, in which case I had some just instant potato, which was just, you know, because you get hungry when you're running. Yeah. Um, so the fuel is good. It gives you the, the energy. Um, but, yeah, some, some instant mashed potato. Uh, <laughs> and I had an ice block because it got really, really hot, really, really hot later in the afternoon. Um, so there was an ice block there for cooling me down, which was amazing. And I think I had one bumper bar as well. So um, not a lot of actual food, but still no. a lot of calories. Um, I've done a lot of different fuel over the years in races, and um, I do find the liquid um, fuel, you know, a couple of hundred calories per 500 mil is probably works out the best for me. If I keep it consistent, you get that consistent energy throughout. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's my that's my go-to. And, it yeah, yeah it worked amazingly. I was, I was blown away. It was awesome. It is a big part of mm. um, ultra distance running because that can it can derail you if if you get it wrong. Yes, yeah. I think that was probably the best um, fueling I've done, um, and I was definitely going to use that as my model for going into the two hundred mile as well. Yeah. Um, just I've fig- finally figured out now for me about two hundred calories an hour is my kind of sweet spot for that kind of effort. So where you're hiking a lot of you know kind of that kind of hiking um, trail and running the downhills kind of thing. Yeah, and obviously for you it's the liquid uh, rather than chewing something because, I mean, everyone's different, but one Mm. of the big problems is getting sort of a GI distress and, you know, cramps and things. So you you have to practice your nutrition, don't you? Yeah, you do. Um, I just find that the consistent energy that I get from drinking as well, um, and it was it was relatively easy. I had my crew, my crew were good at um, making sure that I had my fuel, but I was also very aware that what I needed each lap. So I was just making sure that I got it in, um, and it worked. Yeah, it worked really really well. Yeah. Oh, that's great because the other thing about fueling is that you have to um, be aware, and because you don't necessarily feel like it. Mm, so 100%. you have to sort of make yourself do it like, yeah mm. definitely which is why the drinking it is a lot easier sometimes than eating it because you don't necessarily yeah. feel like eating um, no. I'm not necessarily very good at fueling like my training runs um, because especially when you're going uphill as well you don't want to stop to eat no. um, because it'll slow you down so um, that's where the drinking it comes in handy how did you feel Throughout the run, maybe not just this run, but any long run you've done, do you sort of go up and down and wax and wane in terms of your motivation or exhaustion? Does it come and go in waves? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, this was a dream. This was a dream one. I think I by lap seven, I was physically quite tired, like my muscles were getting quite sore. Um, and were coming down, going, I could could quite happily finish now like <laughs> like I, I would be okay with not going and doing any more laps um so yeah by lap seven that was that was getting a little bit hard um but the motivation was was quite strong I've had other races um so I did Northburn 100 mile race um in March here and that was just horrible a lot of it <laughs> came in from the second lap and just saw the race director I was like this is the worst race ever it's so stupid it's contrived <laughs> just to make us hurt <laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> um, 
absolutely hating on it and going, I'm never doing this again. And then by the time I came through the finish, I was like, I'm going to do this again. (laughs) I I have to come and do this again. So um, yeah, there's definite highs and lows and you just, that that's just going to happen. You just know that you've got to ride them out. Enjoy the highs because you know that the lows are going to happen as well. And just embrace the shittiness when it's low because you know it's going to get better and do what you can I think as well you know like it's if I'm feeling really low do I need more food do I need water do I you know Mm -hmm. kind of addressing those things especially in long races is being really aware of addressing your leads because a lot of lows can be dealt with by food or water you know a lot of that stuff is actually just you can you can help fix it yeah and I guess that's where experience comes in as Mm. well doesn't it yeah, yeah, definitely. The the more you do it, the um, kind of easier, <laughs> the easier it gets. Yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of understand how it all works. Oh, so maybe you, you don't panic. You sort of, no. okay, I'll try this. And if that doesn't work, I'll try that. And yeah. you've got some, some options there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we, we did touch on this a little bit, but why did you decide to make it uh, your your feet into a movie, The Peak of Possibility? Yeah, I mean, I guess because it was the breakthrough in my recovery and I wanted to do something to celebrate that and to share the story, um, a lot of domestic violence stuff is just really sad and horrible and you know, it's not nice to talk about and, and you see a lot of the tough stuff, but you don't see a lot of... Um, recovery stories Mm. and and that life can be better so I guess that's why I wanted to share my story and go hey look this happened to me but look at where I'm at now like I'm you know things can get better it was the recovery story that was really important to share there that that you can recover from hard things um and to raise money for shine because um they helped me out. Um, I've raised money for Shine for the last couple of years and the different um, running things that I've done um, because they were a service that helped me when I left my ex-husband um, and they need money. They're, you know, Those kind of organisations always need as much help as they can get because there's so many people that they need to help. Yeah. So if someone wants to support Shine or, or your mission, what what can they do? How could they do that? Yeah, through my website, I've got um, a page where they can um, donate to Shine. But I guess obviously that's in New Zealand and Australia. I'm sure you've got something like Women's Refuge, all of those things. Um, They all need help um, because, you know, there are so many people that are in these situations. So to yeah make a donation to those or even goods. So we've got um, a couple of... Uh, charities here who collect furniture so if you have old furniture you know to help set up people who are having to leave their whole lives behind and restart um, I'm not sure I'm sure you've probably got those in Australia as well yes, so we do, um, yeah. yeah that's that's something people can do to help as well okay that I'll put links to all of that obviously in in the show notes Tanya have you had anyone um, contact you after watching Peak of Possibility and say that it's helped them in any way? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I've had quite a lot of people contact me over the last couple of years as well as I've shared my story. And um, and it's, yeah, it's a really good feeling. It's hard to hear other people's stories as well. But um, 
also good to see other people who have come through the other side. Yeah. And it, it, I guess, you know, it was hard putting out there when I watched it. We had it in a film festival here in Wanaka and um, I was squirming in my seat. <laughs> it was yeah. the worst <laughs> watching the film myself. Um, it was really, really hard. But, um, you know, then I have people come up to me and just kind of people I don't even know and want to be like, hey, that was your film. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, it makes it worth it. It makes, you know, I telling hard does. stories worthwhile. Yeah, and I think it's incredible because it, it would be sort of easier just to not put it out there, I guess, wouldn't yes. it? But, but yeah. really you're an advocate and um, you're helping people. So mm. it's, it's incredible and obviously very rewarding. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's um, and that's why I keep doing it, I guess, um, because I do. People come to me and and say thank you, and I just yeah, I want to help people yeah. if I can help people avoid going through what I've been through, or even help them get out maybe sooner than I did. You know, I spent a yeah. long time. You know, I, I I lost a lot of years. Um, so if I can help someone else, then 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 that's you know, makes it kind of a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, and as you said earlier, um, we hear a lot about uh, what domestic violence is and, you know, the terrifying statistics, but what you're showing is, you know, there is a way out, you know. It's, mm. it's, people need to see that, I think. Yeah, 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 definitely. And as I say, that was why I wanted to share the recovery story as well because it's not like you just leave and everything's great <laughs> all of a sudden. Um, it's It's really hard. Um, yeah. But it is possible and, yeah. and you know, you can have whatever you want in your life, you know, you can still dream big and achieve all those things mm. um, after going through trauma, whatever kind of trauma that is. Yeah, it's obviously like a work in progress, isn't it? Like you have mm. to keep keep working at it. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could you recommend a couple of places um, for anyone who's listening who might be interested um, where people can seek help in New Zealand? Oh, yep. Um, so in New Zealand, we have um, Shine, obviously. They have a, um, a free calling number um, and they do uh, counselling and advocacy and things in Auckland. Um, New Zealand-wide, we have Women's Refuge, which mm -hmm. um, are very well known. Um, it's Not Okay um, have really good um, resources on their website and support. Um, and the other one I mentioned on my website is Woven Earth, which is one of the organisations that collects um, people's good used um, goods, household goods, to help set up home, homes for women who, um, who have, are having to restart their lives. It's great that those organisations are out there and I think just getting the word out is important. Yeah. So yeah. in Australia, obviously, you can contact the police if you feel like you're in danger. Um, Lifeline and 1800RESPECT and I'll put links in the show notes. Tanya, who inspires you? Oh, um, lots of people. <laughs> I guess anyone overcoming the odds and creating beauty out of hardship, that's obviously in, inspires me. In running, um, the women especially who have gone before and have been the yeah. pioneers to make things that I do today possible, I guess the people who have gone and taken the first steps into the unknown and forged the way so that people like me could go, oh, cool, you know, look, I, they can do that, so I yeah. can too. Um, and so they've kind of allowed me to find my strength by following in their footsteps. Yeah, it's important to have role models in life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. 
And a, a question that I like to ask all my guests, if you could recommend two things that people could do, that could be anything, to improve their well-being, what would that be? What would they be? Yeah, I guess um, mine will relate to uh, what I do and um, my experience. And one, the first one would be listen to your body. It'll mm-hmm. tell you what it needs. Uh, and listen early. If you don't listen to the quiet voice, you'll have no choice but to listen when it screams. <laughs> <laughs> like a stress factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of what we do in our sport is about pushing our bodies and kind of fighting against them. But I think to have longevity in the sport and in life in general, we mm-hmm. need to listen and stop trying to push them too far beyond their limits. Um, like there's healthy adaptation, but then there's also unhealthy pushing, which yeah. I'm still learning to dance around the edges of. Um, and sometimes it's hard to know the difference. So really just checking in um, and listening to your body would be my first one. Um, and the second one, very basic, but eating well and fueling yeah. your body. Um, if you want it to perform, you need to treat it right. And food is such an important part. You can train all you want, but if you're not fueling your body right, then you're not going to get the results. And and again, you're not going to be well. So yeah. There's a saying, you can't outrun a bad diet. Exactly. <laughs> and it's a yeah. good, it's often a good excuse. Well, like I've done this big run, I'm going to eat know. pizza and drink and do all this. Yeah. But, you know, and, and not that those are bad things, everything in moderation, but really making sure that in the first instance, you're fueling your body with the things that it nice needs. natural foods. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. Whatever that looks like to you in terms of the way you eat, but yes. um, just, yeah, eating good, clean food. Yeah, great. And Tanya, if someone wants to follow you and look at what you've been doing, what, what are the best ways they can do that? Yeah, social media is probably the easiest. I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook at Run Like Tanya. And I also have my webpage at runlikeTanya.com. So Excellent. pretty simple. <laughs> Brilliant. And I'll put those in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story and being so open. And it's, it's just been, it's been so inspirational and uplifting for me to listen to you talk so thank you oh thank you for having me and I hope it is uplifting after all the you know talk about all the hard stuff as well it it can be it can yeah it can be hard to listen to but as I say there's um there's positives that they're light at the end of the tunnel as well indeed well you you are living proof of that so that's great yeah Mm. awesome thank you and that was the amazing amazing Tanya Bottomley generously sharing her traumatic but ultimately, I think, uplifting and hopeful story with us. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you found today's interview inspiring. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast and I'd be really grateful for that. You can subscribe to Vibrant Lives Podcast on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and also on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast or on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast. Please also check out my new website and subscribe to join the Vibrant Lives Podcast community. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.